Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. You're listening to MAF Sports Take. Whether it's breaking news or sports business, this is your home for unmuzzled and unconventional sports talk. With assistant general manager, director of player personnel, and three-time world champion on his resume, David Turner has a thing or two to teach you about pro football. At his side is Ryan Roberts, former college football player, football coach, and NFL Draft Bible's director of scouting. Together, they're here to take you on a deep dive into what goes on in the world of sports. Ryan and David, take it away. Welcome, everyone. This is Mavs Sports Take, episode 41, your weekly podcast for sports business and a whole lot more. Here we tackle the business of all the news that you hear about and a lot that you don't. Of course, I am joined by my good friend, David Turner, 18-year scouting vet among the NFL, CFL, and Arena League, including three straight Arena League championships with the Arizona Rattlers. Tonight, David and I will be welcoming our guest, Shakira Hassel, who is a head strength and conditioning coach at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy. In addition to our guest, we'll be discussing some scouting tips. I mean, you know we have a lot of hopeful scouting, um, uh, hopeful scouts in the future. And as always, since we are live here on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook, brought to you by Mav Sports, we will be taking live questions at any point in the podcast. Before we welcome up our, our wonderful guest, and I'm really looking forward to kind of hearing her take, not only from the strength and conditioning world, but women in sports, David Turner, as always, my friend, how are you this evening? Doing well. Just another day in the neighborhood over here, you know, just trying to get it right and get it, get get set for another great episode with you and enjoying the weather out here in Arizona before it gets too hot. It's already toasty, but it ain't that hot yet. So what's the, what's the temperature right now in Arizona? Ooh, like a- I think we're I think we hit 92 today. Let me see. It's gross, dude. It's absolutely it's gross. It's not gross. Like, it's beautiful. It was, it was it's like, under 100. Under, it, oh, we're 93. 93. Tomorrow's 100. So. You know, we're getting then the rest of the week looks like about 97 flirting with 100 for the net the rest of the week. So it, it was like 75 today in New Jersey. It was fantastic, man. It was absolutely fantastic. Just walk around. I had the baby strapped to my chest earlier. Like it's fantastic times, man. Absolutely fantastic times. And we have fantastic times every week on the show. So we want to thank you so much if you're listening live again, taking questions all night, whether you are via Twitter, YouTube, or Facebook. In today's world, everyone is looking for a leg up on their competition, but how do you gain that in the sports world? Simple, coaching. At Maverick Sports Consulting, we offer top-notch coaching to help you gain the interview skills you need when that call comes. You know that call you're waiting for, the one that will turn you from an amateur athlete to a professional one. Are you confident you can deliver in that conversation to maximize your time with the decision makers? No. Well, sign up for today for Maverick's interview prep so you gain ground on your competition before you even get to the tryouts. MaverickSportsConsulting.com. Visit today. So, David, I know we're really excited to bring on our guests, so might as well do it right now, right? Let's get it, go, roll it in. We're bringing on Miss Shakira Hassel. We're honored to welcome her on. She's a head, head strength and conditioning coach for our U.S. Coast Guard Academy, one of a handful of women strength coaches that oversee football at a major university and also hold the title of strength coach. In addition to her career as a strength and conditioning coach, she is she in was also a national championship football player herself, which we cannot wait to ask her about. Shakira, I appreciate you so much. Again, taking some time with us tonight. How has everything been going for you? Everything's going good. Thank you so much for having me. It's a Absolutely. pleasure. Yeah, no, I know we're, we're really pumped when David kind of set this one up. He was really excited. I know I know he's spoken very highly of you. So kind of to set the set the table for the, the folks out there that might not be too familiar yet, can you just tell our audience about your football playing career? What positions did you play? And, and you still <laughs> um, sport the championship ring around sometimes. I, you know, I brought it to um, Carolina when I was with the Carolina Panthers for training camp. I, I actually brought that wing that ring with me, David. Um, but I don't normally wear it. <laughs> um, yeah. 
So I started playing when in 2004 for Chicago Explosion. Uh, sorry, Chicago. Uh, I can't even remember the name anymore. Chicago Force. Sorry. Um, there I played defensive end. Um, I only played there one year because I started grad school after that. And then I went on to play for the Atlanta Explosion in Atlanta, Georgia um, in 2006. And 2006, we won the national title in California, Sacramento, against Detroit. Now, I know that you're also a member of the Virgin Islands national basketball team. Is that right? I was, but I had a terrible accident the day before I was supposed to report there and ended up breaking a, a bone in my ankle playing pickup before I went to report, which I probably shouldn't have played pickup. Um, so they tried to rehab it uh, while I was there. Um, it wasn't making a fast enough recovery for the tournament that was coming up. So I ended up not playing in the tournament. At what age did you start playing sport? And then second part of the question, what age did you know sports and this path that you're currently on, be, it was going to be your passion and what you were going to follow through and your, your career was going to grow in? You know, my parents had me involved in sports since I was five. My first um, sport that I picked up was swimming. Um, they had me in swimming and and then that led to being in the all guys, all boys basketball league um, for a couple of years. And then my, I started to grow and then my knees started to hurt. So they put me on the swim team um, for the YMCA and I was on the swim team there and into high school all the way up until um, my senior year going to state for swimming. Um, I, I was actually a city champion um, in the 50, 50 yard freestyle um, in Chicago um, my senior year. And so that led to the state um, championship as well. And then after that, I just chose to play basketball in college um, at Beloit College in Wisconsin which no one ever knows about. Was, was okay, so where's that? Because, yes, you're right. I've never heard of it. <laughs> it's, it's in Beloit, Wisconsin. It's a small private institution, um, D3. Um, so I, I earned a lot of academic scholarships to cover playing for them. Um, and then I don't have, I don't have a lot of um, – success when it comes to injuries because when I was a junior I tore my Achilles tendon and that wiped out my college career and then that's when the the Virgin Islands national basketball team asked me to to come down um after I graduated from there. So um I basically rehabbed myself and and got myself back in shape um playing wise and worked with the um, overseas coach or overseas former overseas player who um, helped me to to get back in into playing shape, and then after the whole Virgin Islands um, tournament where I couldn't play because I broke my I broke a bone in my ankle, that led to football, and so when I came back from the Virgin Islands and I, at the time I lived in Chicago, I threw my I threw my basketball shoes one way and picked up cleats and that's how I started playing football and I mean I, I really can't say I ever got injured playing football out of all sports um I just mostly got injured in basketball so I didn't have great luck with basketball now what's your tie to the Virgin Islands so my father and his side of the family are from the Virgin Islands gotcha okay and then so have you had you been there before the basketball camp then to go down and, and visit never, family and stuff? Never, never, because most of the family is is in the US. Um there's one uncle that's in Germany. Um the we had extended family still in St. Thomas, and I had an aunt still in St. Croix. Um and I went down. Well, Shakira, I, I know you've obviously, I mean, you have been involved in so many different sports and I, I'm there with you. Like I was a former linebacker that has torn one too many labrums in their shoulders. So I was like, okay, I, I need to find a different way to stay around the game a little bit. Can you kind of now 
explain the transition because I know, you know, after you're done playing, now you need to figure out what the next phase of life is type of thing, right? How you're going to stay close to the game. Obviously, you went the strength and conditioning route. Can you just highlight how you got to this point from your playing days until now? Oh, sure. I mean, injuries was 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 one thing that I dealt with a lot, you know, and because I was at a D3 small school, we didn't have a strength and conditioning department that could have helped me get back to my sport, you know, as fast and as safely as I could get back to it, you know. Um, and I told myself I wouldn't want any other athlete to have to go through this or have to experience not being able to play anymore because they got seriously injured and there was no one in place to help them get back. You know? And I always knew I wanted to stay around sports, you know, as a career. And first it was as an athletic trainer, but then I would only see the athletes if they were injured. Then it was, okay, what about sports medical doctor or, um, or something of that in that line um, with sports medicine. And then I was like, well, I only again see them when they're hurt. And I, I made it a point to want to be there prior to someone getting hurt to help them get better as an athlete and go far. Um, and to also be there if they got injured to help them return back to play as safe and as fast as possible. You know, so those were two big factors that led me into strength and conditioning. And if, if you could look back on it for a second, I don't know if, if there's anything that you would maybe change or something that maybe would have helped you maybe even quicker get to the point of, of where you wanted to go. But looking back on it as a younger lady, maybe to a teenage or even before that, is there any advice that you would give to a younger version of yourself to help you along this career path that you've chosen? Of course. Um, well, strength and conditioning for athletes is more prevalent now. You know, it's it's more expected. You know, when I was a teenager, you know, it wasn't something that was really talked about, you know, amidst, you know, the environment that I grew up in. Um, my father always had me um, in the weight room learning how to do different things on, on uh, machine equipment. Um, because he was a phys ed teacher um, at the high school level. And so he always introduced me to the weight room that way. But as far as knowing about my field, I didn't find out about my field until I had ruptured my Achilles tendon. And the men's basketball coach was telling me some of the things that I can possibly still do as a career, still relating back to sport. And he told me to start looking up strength and conditioning, you know, as a career. Um, and so that's what I started to do. And I realized that at the bigger institutions, they had already that department in existence, you know. And like I said, because I went to a small D3 school, you know, we didn't have a department like that. We just had a weight room. So all the training that I did was on my own. You know, and if we would have had a strength and conditioning department, I would have known about that career field a long time ago. Um, but if I had to tell my if I had to talk to myself as a teenager um, now with everything that's in in existence now, you know, I would definitely direct myself to a university that had a strength department so I can get familiarized with it more and, and experience a different, um, a different world of, of training for sport, you know, and, um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't that many feet, uh, women in my field when I started out. So I didn't really, I wouldn't really know who I want to be, you know, a protege of, you know, because there was not that many um, black females in the field itself, not let, let alone any females. It was mostly a, a white male dominated field when I got in. And ever since, you know, I've been in the field, it's been more and more prevalent to see more women get into this field. Now, I know you've worked at 
IMG Academy, one of the dominant, you know, forces in high school sports down in mm-hmm. Florida and across this country. You've worked at uh, Fort Bragg, right, as a tactical strength con- sport, uh, strength and conditioning coach. You've worked, you have quite a journey to get to the U.S. Coastal Academy. But I want before we get to that, I really would like to say or ask you about being a black female in sports mm-hmm. and, and, you know, like you said, the, the career you've chosen is been dominated by a lot of white males. Can you give us a little bit of um, a lesson, help us learn a little bit about the road that you've traveled so our listeners can, can hear it coming from you on this road that you've had to travel through your career to get you to the coastal uh, coast guard Academy and how, you know, how it's worked from your angle and your eyes and your focus point. Well, it was, it's, it's, it's been a tough road, you know, and thank God, you know, I had, you know, my faith to rely on to, to help me to grow through this, this field and, and get through a lot of the challenges that I faced um, I dealt with a lot of um, sexism, um, and especially when I started to fight to get on the football coaching staff during my grad assistant days, um, everything just turned upheaval uh, when I was at Georgia Southern University, and I, I started to request to be on the football coaching staff because I wanted the whole the whole experience of learning how to be a great strength coach for every sport. And I felt like I didn't deserve to have to not learn about football. You know, I felt like I had a right to learn about coaching football players as well um, in order for me to develop as a professional. And, you know, ever since I started to fight to be on the coaching football staff, that's when, you know, things got tougher with the the coworkers and the head coaches that I was working with because they they saw that I was a female, so they didn't see the they didn't see the importance of putting me on the football coaching staff as a as a GA. You know, being a fe- a female, you know, they just wanted me to work with like cheerleading or swimming or or tennis. You know sports like that, that were the Olympic sports. And so, um, I wouldn't give up. I, I, I continued to, to press on and ask, and they finally let me, um, be a part of the, the football coaching staff, but they made my life really hard too. You know, they, they expected me to teach three classes. They expected me to take three classes and then they expected me to coach three teams and then come in earlier um to prepare for football and stay late um to work with football as well so they made sure that you know they were trying to drive me out by adding more to my plate you know because I started fighting for the football coaching position as well or just to have the experience of working with football um so then I left I transferred to Valdosta State University and, you know, I met, I met my, my mentor, Michael Dasher, um, who I went directly to. And I said, you know, look, I want to work with football. If I can't work with football, then I don't want to, I don't want to be here. I don't want to accept your graduate assistant, you know, ship. And, you know, I don't want to teach classes either as a punishment for being on the football, you know, coaching staff. And he was like, done and done. You know, you're on, you're definitely on the, on the staff for working with football and you're not going to have to teach any classes. So I did, I restarted my graduate, my graduate assistantship, you know, at Valdosta State, you know, and scrapped the one year that I did at Georgia Southern and started over just so that I can get the experience without um, any, any, um, pushed back to work with football, you know, and even, but even at Valdosta, you know, I, I dealt with a lot of stuff, um, in the, in the field because I was working with, um, all male staff, um, once again, and who, 
they didn't see the importance of, of me being a part of the football, you know, so they made my experience really tough there. And little did they know that the football players actually respected me more than the other graduate assistant because they were, he was too busy trying to be dominant over them. He he had, he had a serious Napoleon complex, you know, and I had to break. Oh, some of the short guys, you know, I'm sorry, David. I'm sorry. You don't have that complex. I know. I just messing with you. You know, I'm messing with you. He just has the Napoleon part. That's all. (laughs) Yeah. Just the Napoleon, not the complex. (laughs) (laughs) So like I had to break up a lot of, of the guys wanting to fight the, the GA. And so my, my spring semester of my, my second year there, um, when I was finishing up and about to graduate, the coaching staff for football took jobs at Georgia Southern. Like the head coach went to Georgia Southern and all his assistants went to Georgia Southern. I had the experience there. I didn't want any parts of it. They took the, the male GA that worked with me there to Georgia Southern um, and the football team, they wrote petitions. They wrote a petition and, and every single one of them signed it and turned it into my, my head coach saying that they didn't, they didn't want me to leave, you know, out of all the coaches that left, they, they really wanted me to be there. And so they gave it to the head football coach that, that took over the position and both the head football coach and and my boss brought me in the office and was like, Shakira, you know, we didn't know you had such an impact on the team. You know, they all wrote petitions for you to stay, but didn't write petitions for anybody else to stay, you know, and that, that made me feel really good and feel like I had a purpose. and, And it made me feel like I was on the right path, you know, because I didn't change my coaching style to fit all the other coaches style, which was to be over dominant and, you know, to be a, really aggressive in their, in their language and in their behavior towards the athletes. Um, even though I, you know, they, they kept insisting that I had to, you know, yell and scream and curse them out. You know, I refused to, to change my coaching style. And so. So you're the opposite of me. Is what you're saying. <laughs> I'm the little drill sergeant. You're, you're the nice cop. No, actually, you know, all of my football players that I've had, especially here at the Coast Guard Academy, they all say that their freshman year, they were petrified of me. Well, I'll tell you, I've been on the football field with you and with the pro athletes like the Carolina Panthers when you were there interning. You have a regalness about you when you walk around and when you don't have that smile on your face, you're intimidating as all fucking hell. I mean, (laughs) I, I when, I, when she, I first walked on the field, it was my first year of the Panthers, and here she is. I'm thinking she's full time. I'm thinking she's like House's assistant, like first assistant. The way she handled the players, the way she like carries herself, confident, sure of herself. I'm like, oh. And then I come to learn she's interning. I'm like, no fucking way. <laughs> I mean, she just fit right in, and and I mean, what was it Ryan Khalil? I mean, was in your hip pocket because he was, you know, over there working with you like every day. And Ryan Khalil, you know, pro baller is just like, yep, I'm listening. Whatever Shakira says, I'm doing. (laughs) Well, you know, one of my former football players were was on the team too, Mario Addison. Mm, Right. Okay. uh, He was a former football player for me at Troy University. So. So tell the listeners how you got to the Coast Guard Academy and how and then also let the young ladies that are listening and their moms and their dads understand how rare you are, because you're not just the head of football, but you're the head of strength and conditioning for the whole damn academy. Correct. And you hold that you hold those two titles. And I don't I tried to research how many other women just women, not even black women, just women mm-hmm. in America own own those two titles. And I couldn't find many, but I remember the interview you did with us at the Panthers and you said you're one of few. So help 
help everybody understand how rare you really are. Um, well, you know, it's it's it, it, it is. It's it's just like what you said, it's a really rare um position to be in because you know, even now, if I was you know, when I apply just randomly to, you know, bigger universities to work on the football coaching staff, you know, they still have that no woman attitude, you know, despite despite everything on my resume, despite all my experience and, and all of that, you know, I don't even get a call back, you know, which which baffles me because of all the stuff that I've done, you know, and I don't, you know, it's hard to give advice when we're still battling these issues. You know, the only advice I can I can give is to stay perseverant, you know, and steadfast in what you believe in and in what you want to achieve, you know, and don't let anybody change that. You know, don't let don't let the opinions of other people change what your folks your focus and your purpose is, you know, if you're, if you're determined to be a part of, of a program or to learn and then get the experience from working with a program or a sport, you know, stick to it, you know, fight for it, you know, stand up for it. You know, you're not going to be the, the popular one, you know, when you start to stand up and fight for stuff. You know, but in the end, it's going to open up doors for you. You know, hopefully, you know, women, other women in the field, you know, run across, you know, athletic departments or, or head string coaches or head football coaches and and are welcomed, you know, you know, they're welcomed into the program or into the the arena where they want to give you a chance they want to look at your credentials you know without putting a a face or 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 a sex to you know what you are you know just look at all i ask is just look at my credentials and base my credentials and qualifications you know off of what i've done and compare it to the other credentials and qualifications that are submitted, you know, and pick from there. Don't pick based on the fact that, oh, they're a male, you know, with two years experience, not a lot of qualifications, but we're going to pick him because we don't want to pick her. You know, that's, that's something that needs to change. You know, base your decisions off of qualifications and off of experience and off of recommendations that has been written for you and off of, you know, your hard work that you've put in to the field, you know, and then make a decision. Don't make a decision based off of the fact that I'm a female, you know, and you are you don't want or don't want to have a female interact with your players because you're scared that, you know, a situation or a relational situation may occur. You know, I've been faced with that when I applied for grad school, you know, and, you know, I'm not going to name any coaches who I've, who I've gotten pushback from as I was applying, but as I was applying, they would say, Oh, we don't want to hire another female graduate assistant because we don't want them to have interactions with any of our male athletes, you know? So that's something that I've been fighting ever since I started applying and, and, and trying to work as a graduate assistant in strength and conditioning, you know, and it's sad that, you know, they would think that way, you know, even though I know it happens, but it also happens with male coaches as well, you know, and, it's a it's a double standard, you know. It's a it's a double standard that shouldn't be so much of a of a problem with women working with the opposite sex, you know. And as far as 
as me working with the opposite sex, you know, I treat everybody the same. I expect respect in return because I'm giving you respect. You know, I'm showing you respect and I'm acknowledging your presence and acknowledging the fact that you're going to work your butt off for me and not really realize how much of a pain I'm going to be on you because I want you to get better. You know, I just, like I said, I just had dinner with one of my graduating senior football players and he told, he, his parents knew about me, you know, for the four years that he's been with me, you know, because he will always call them and say how much of an impact I've made in his life. And at the, at the Coast Guard Academy, as far as, you know, building up strength and getting stronger, but not only that, but being a mentor as well, you know, and they really appreciated me, you know, and these bonds that I build with my athletes, not just football, but across football and all the other sports, you know, mean a lot to me, you know, and I respect that, that position that I'm in, you know, because I, I have an impact on these athletes, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to ruin that. You know, plus I don't ever want somebody to tell me, oh, you've been unprofessional in your in your career. You know, you you've had interactions, you know, with with the opposite sex, you know, for the athletes or whatever. You know, so I, I always remain professional and I hold that to a T because I know they will be it will be quick for them to say you're fired you know, versus a male who had, you know, interactions, personal interactions with a female athlete, you know. I was at Troy University and one of our GAs, he was a guy, and the head coach let him date one of one of our, our tennis players who was an athlete of mine, you know, and I was completely against it, but it was allowed to happen. Now, if it was me, I would have been fired. So that's the double standard that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. No, and it, it's it's. I mean, it, it's terrible that that it exists, and I I agree. It's it's just so prevalent, and you, like that story you just told, it happens a lot more than people would even understand that that double standard yeah. and and those instances. And I, I kind of wanted to Shakira for like the last little section. I kind of want to take it to the students that you work with now at the academy mm -hmm. a little bit because I've I've had the fortune of interviewing. A lot of athletes, specifically mm -hmm. football players, a lot of players that maybe went to Air Force or Navy or Army, so a military-based institution. Mm -hmm. And I know that being a student athlete is hard enough. I was there at one point, and balancing the academics with the athletics is hard enough. But being a cadet, if you could just give us a little glimpse into the challenges that some of these athletes face that you work with daily. It's not a, it's not a easy It's not an easy path. Um, for sure. You know, even, even I question, you know, if I could have made it as an athlete at a military academy, because they not only have to worry about their sport, you know, and training for their sport and competing in their sport, but they have to worry about classes all during the day, you know, and interacting with their, their, their commanders or lieutenants or whoever's over them. Um, and going, um, and still working and attending drills, you know, for the Coast Guard, you know, every, every so often, but still putting in time to work every day, doing something as a Coast Guardsman, you know, and, and when they're not in the athletic realm, when they're not in the, in like lifting or, or practicing for sport, they're in uniform all day, you know, so they're never at ease, you know, unless they're by themselves in their room or talking with a friend, you know, for a short amount of time, you know, when they step out in the morning and start their day, it's always a high level of stress that they're going through every day, you know, up until the time that they they come and see me or go and see their sport coach for practice, you know, and then right after that, they're back into the, the, the schedule again after practice, because now they have to 
eat at a certain time, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they have to to be back under, you know, the the authority of the Coast Guard, you know. So they barely they barely sleep. Um, they barely get enough nutrition into their system to to support what I do um, in tearing their muscles down to help them regrow. Um, and they're under a lot of stress with both the Coast Guard responsibilities and with the class responsibilities. No, I know. I used to scout at the uh, Air Force Academy and I'd ask the athletes one of the questions, what do you do in your off time? They're like, sleep. Yeah, <laughs> like, we just go to sleep because, you know, we eat and we sleep because there's just not enough time to do all that. Plus the football, plus the drills, plus everything else mm-hmm. they're doing. And, you know, we obviously applaud you and we applaud these young men and women that are, you know, going to the Coast Guard Academy to, you know, safeguard our coasts and our, our country. And, you know, honestly, we're thanking you for your service to making sure that while they're under your your tutelage, you're, mm-hmm. you're preparing their, you know, their bodies to defend our country for us and to defend our borders. Um, but really quick, what's next for you, Shakira? Is it NFL? Is it big time power football? I mean, is there another move? Is this your retirement job? Are you going to stay there? Tell me. Oh, David, David, you know, I've always been trying to get you to get me hired somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you you, all I need to get from you is a phone call saying, Shakira, come on up. <laughs> yeah, I know. If I had that power, trust me, it would be a simple <laughs> phone call. It'd be like, come on, girl, we got to go. We got shit to do. <laughs> and she, I know her answer would be, okay, where, where am I going? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be. And it would definitely work now because, you know, I think when I got to the Coast Guard Academy, I was asked by the athletic department the athletic director to build a D1 caliber strength and conditioning department because they didn't have one, you know? And so six and a half years ago, I, I built this department and I established a culture for it and I established um, an expectation for it. And, you know, it's grown from ground zero up and up, to like the Empire State Building, you know, they just they just built another strength and conditioning facility compared to what they originally had. You know, they had a room with eight racks, you know, officially before this this year. And because of the culture and, and the expectation that I've established with the department, they decided to build a new facility that looks like a D1 caliber strength and conditioning facility now. So, you know, I think I've done my job. <laughs> I think I think I've done my job, and you know, it may be time for me to to move on up or move somewhere else, and and build that program up. Once well, I get my job, it's it's simple. I'm just making a call. Let's go. Package deal. <laughs> I well, I'll let you do that, David. <laughs> you hold me to it. You hold me to it. Well, Shakira, this was fantastic. And I I look forward to seeing what the next step in your brilliant career is so far. So again, we got Miss Shakira Hassel, head strength and conditioning coach at our U.S. Coast Guard Academy, has done a lot of things, has been a lot of places. We appreciate you so much for taking some time. Going to give you the floor if you want to leave our viewers with any message or shout outs or, or social media following, whatever you would like. The floor is yours. Well, you know, I just want to say, you know, every day should be a day of of gratefulness, you know, and and um, appreciation to the the one above, you know, to God, um, especially for helping yourself to get better every day that you live in something. You know, it doesn't have to be necessarily athletically or, or in the weight room, you know, just focus on getting better at something in order to improve who you are as a, as a human being. Fantastic. Fantastic. Great perspective. I think we need more of that type of perspective in the world today. We have really, again, appreciate you so much. This is awesome for me to be able to meet you for the first time. We'll definitely have to have you back on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Good night. Good seeing you, Secure. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you later, David.
So, David, another fantastic interview. Man, you always line them up. I have to give you credit for that. You do a great job lining up some fantastic guests. Obviously, women in sports is a constant topic that needs more attention. We had a great panel earlier um, when we first started the podcast. We saw Kelly Klein just get hired by the Denver Broncos in a higher-up role. So, we have women that are – Kelly's a great, great move. Yep. Great move. And we have women that keep breaking barriers, just like Shakira that we just had on. Um, just fantastic stuff. We need more of that stuff because it's it's things that need to be talked about. And even the story that she told about, you know, the double standard for, with the with the coach at Georgia Southern, like it's stuff that people don't talk about enough. And we need to, you know, be able to talk about it because that's always the first step is some people are just so scared about having the conversation. Let's have the conversation because that's the only way that we make progress as people. Well, like we got, like we learned from the women's panel, it's all about inclusion. You got to include them to the conversations and within, like you just heard from Shakira, you know, she just wants to be included in the interview process. It's just inclusion. Inclusion is the hard part for males to understand. It's, you know, they don't, they're not going to say, give me the job just because I'm a woman or whatever. It's include right. me in the pro, don't keep me out of the process because I'm a woman, you know? And I, and I and like I said, when I met her at Carolina, I really did. I thought she was just on the staff. I thought she was on house's staff. The way she walked around, so regal, and with her with her visor on, she wore a visor every single day. She had this visor and a ponytail, and, and she had her stopwatch and her whistle. Like she was ready to go. And and then when I learned she was an intern, I was I was like, wow, like you know, carrying yourself like that. That's pretty impressive. And then when I got to talk to her, and at that point, she'd been in strength and conditioning, like, I don't know, 10, 12 years, something like that. And she was still learning, still going. And she talked about her days at Fort Bragg. And then that she was at the, it was like her first year at the Coast Guard Academy. And I was just like, good Lord, like, you've done so much. Like, if a male had her resume, they'd be at Nebraska. They'd be at USC. They'd be at Alabama. Like, they really would. If, if, if a male had her resume, they would be somewhere else and rised up the ranks by now and so when she was i was honored that she told me she'd come on and talk openly about it and honored that she came on and chose our show to to talk about it a little bit because you know she is a rare woman that not only holds the title for head strength and conditioning coach at one of our major u.s you know institutions for for our our, our uh, military right but she's the head football strength and conditioning woman uh, coach there too. She holds right. two titles and it's like, you know, like you said, we interview people from Navy and air force and, you know, from, you know, army and all, all the, all the places that they go and they, we would talk about them. And now here's, here's the woman that's training them mm-hmm. at the coast guard Academy. So, you know, I'm just super impressed with her. And like you heard her story where she was a basketball player, then a football player, then she got injured and Crazy. that motivated. Yeah. So, Again, I can't talk enough about her. And if anybody, any of the decision makers are listening, you need her contact information. Don't hesitate. I'll give it to you. Um, just interview her. Just talk to her. She's she's a rare individual that really can handle the job. Speaking of military academies, David, did you see our boy Cameron Kinley out of uh, Navy picked off Kyle Trask the other day in practice? Just throwing that one out there real quick. Uh, yeah. Bay Buccaneers, fantastic stuff. Great segue. I'm sure I it was the receiver's fault that, that Trask threw Oh, no. no Bob, your boy Trash just threw a duck out there, man. I think it was a I'm sure it was the receiver's fault. It was a tip ball of the line or something. Oh, yeah. It has to be. It has to be. Want to let you know before we hit our last segment here, Maverick Sports Consulting is up for the challenge to remodeling your social media branding. We will customize your social media accounts to properly and accurately depict your messages to attract future employers. Stop searching for inroads and construct them with your social media planning. We will work with you to lay the foundation for a successful social media campaign to attract your next opportunity. Please go to maverickSportsConsulting.com today to move your social media forward. So, David, speaking of moving forward, we're fresh into the 2022 NFL draft process. You know what I'm saying? So with it's your, not with, even June. Oh it's, oh, it's it's happening, man. It's always draft season, baby. So with your experiences, 18 years in the Arena League, National Football League, and up there in Canada, and my excitement over 2022, I felt like we should start kind of putting – a little bit of advice, a little bit of tidbits, some some secret sauce to scouting 
into some of these podcasts. Okay, so our okay. last segment this, here. This is, the, this is the secret sauce segment. It's a secret sauce segment, baby. I like that. I might, I might secret sauce cool. segment. Here it is. Secret sauce segment. We're going to be talking about evaluation. Spice it up, baby. Spice it about up. Evaluation tips for offensive linemen. So we're talking offensive tackles, and then we're talking interior linemen, including guards and centers. So, David, offensive tackles, let's start there. When you're evaluating an offensive tackle, you flipped on the film. David turns in his dark room. He's got a sandwich to the right. I don't know what type of sandwich it is. What are some things? Salami sandwich, ready to go in the dark room. What are the first things you're looking at when you're evaluating an offensive tackle? Pad level, foot quickness, bend. You got to look at uh, power, strength, punch, how they carry their hands. If they carry their hands low at their hips, or if they carry them up ready to punch. Um, if they're, you know, if they have to load their hands, you know, which means move them back before they can move them forward, or if they can punch in a short area. Yep. And then uh, press and extend and lock on, and as I call it, clamp and control defenders when they're coming at them those are some things that are our keys to me you know the foot quickness balance body control because you're gonna have to redirect at some point can you stop your momentum one way and redirect your foot the other way without opening up you know an interior rush lane by having a weak interior post leg where they can push your into in, inside shoulder and and just get to the quarterback easy because you're off balance your pad level's too high or do you stick your ground? Can you stick your foot in the ground and redirect forward, either driving them back towards the line of scrimmage or through the pocket, clearing passing lanes for your quarterback to fill behind you or escape pocket behind you? Um, but it starts with footwork, bend, and pad level. So, you know, if they have those three things out the gate, I, they really grab my interest because I know those three things are actually rare for offensive linemen, you know. It is. It is. And, and the pad level part for me is really big because offensive tackles, we're usually talking about longer guys, right? Usually the mm-hmm. pad level is a little bit of a tough thing to master when you have those long levers. I have a question for you because I used to love Mike Mayock when he was on NFL Network. You know, he was pretty entertaining. I'm sorry. He had some good sayings. I, I know. I know. It is what it is. Um, John you're Green, ruining, you're ruining in, you're, his you're life. young, easily influenced. Ruining his life. Um, so he used to have the, the funny sayings. Uh, have you ever heard in a real scouting department someone say he had sand in the pants or he needed no. sand in the pants? No, no, I didn't think that. I didn't think that very much. No, it's not a phrase I've heard. No. no. What, what now, we call I have from our friend James Kirkland before, he ain't yeah. instant coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, like I, 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 I know he hasn't trademarked it yet, but he needs to because I steal that line from him all the time. You do. And for a second, I thought that you were the innovator, that you had made it up. Oh, hell no. That's all James. The first time he said that to me, he threw me for a loop. And I was like, wait, what? And he's like, he's got to percolate, you know, year two, get better. And then then he'll be ready to he'll be ready to drink. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, I love it. That's funny. Uh, So my quick take on offensive tackles, I want to get to the interior so we're not here forever because I know we can just talk about offensive tackle um, recruiting. Well, right tackle, tackle, left tackle, run blocking, pass blocking. We can go. You and I taught a class about it. Right. So we're talking thresholds. We're talking about arm length. We're talking about heights. We're talking about weights. We're talking about all those things. But a couple key things that I always watch for – is one flexibility. David talked about balance a little bit. He talked about ability to sink your butt and then have good pad level. That's all part of a flexibility. If you are tight and you are stiff as a board, that those things are just going to be difficult for you. So flexibility for me is huge. And then core strength. I know you mentioned it with grip strength a bunch, right? Being able to c- create a ton of power in a very tight space, both as a punch and when you are using your post leg to cut off those inside moves. So those are a couple of things that I really look at a bunch. And then I really think that one thing that needs to be talked about a bunch at offensive tackle, at least unteachables, you know, we're, we're, you're talking about the technique technique can always get better, but the talent that we have seen at offensive tackle over the years from the Jason Peters of the world, from the Lane Johnson's from the Tyron Smith's, I always bring this up because I think it, it, people just underestimate this so much. They see these big guys and they're like, Oh, it's just a big guy. That's all he is. But these dudes, I mean, honestly, David, like pound for pounds, 
best athletes on the field sometimes, right? Like defensive ends or offensive ta- like offensive tackles, man. Like these dudes are running four seven now at three hundred something pounds. Like it is absurd. Tristan Worse had a thirty six and a half inch vert at like three hundred twenty pounds. Like these dudes are stupid athletes, man. Like it, and you need it because the other position I just talked about a little bit there a second ago. These defensive ends, these Miles Garretts, who are 270-something pounds running four fives, like Javon Curses of the world, the Julius Peppers of the world, like these guys. Oh, that Peppers is a different level. I, well, yeah, Peppers was 290 pounds, could play college basketball very well, and ran like in the four fives at 290 pounds. Like just these dumb athletes that if you are against a guy that's stiff and ha- doesn't have either the – length profile or the athleticism profile to be able to get to the third step up the arc and a kick step. Like it's like, it's lights out. So I really think that the one thing I want to put out there and I try to put it out there as much as possible is you can't underrate the athletic profile. This is why I was such a big proponent of Spencer Brown this year. For me, like that guy's a rare athlete. These guys now that are the best at their position, they're rare. Like you, you talk about the best guys that have ever played it. Even going back to, you know, the Flozell Adams of the world, the Orlando Paces, the Jonathan Ogdens, the the Jackie Slaters. Like all these guys are ridiculous. Walter athletes. Jones, Walter Jones, uh, Willie Rofe, Jumbo, all these Jumbo guys. Elliott. Right, Willie all these Rofe. guys are not yeah. good athletes. They're Munoz. not solid athletes. Anthony Munoz, they're not good athletes. I can keep they're going. Not, they're not <laughs> solid athletes. They are rare athletes, and that's why the unteachables, the athleticism, the length, the size can't be understated for that position. No, and you know what's really what's really crazy to me when I watch them is the twitchiness mm-hmm. at such a big size and long person right. that we're seeing. I remember watching Shaq play basketball for the first time. I was at the Miami Dolphins. We happened to get owner seats, was like two rows back from the baseline. And they were playing the Boston Celtics, I think. And he was on the heat. And so we went and we watched him. When that guy drop stepped for the first time and went to the hoop, the quickness and the shoulder turn and everything, I'm like, a man his size should not be able to do that. Like, that's just not fair. Like, not only is he big, and he's powerful, but then the twitch, the quickness is there. And that's just so unfair. That's just not okay. <laughs> Unteachables, baby. You like and, he just has that. Even when Shaq like, got big and got way too out of shape, like he still had it. Like it was just it's ridiculous. He only needed he only needs it seven times a game, and then he, he you know, he can recall it and get it, and it's ridiculous. And again, it's and again, like you're saying, like with these now, these stretch zone, outside zone runs and stuff, having more of it makes more sense and lengthiness and and uh, creating creases for these, you know, even smaller running backs. And we've seen, I mean, we don't have a bunch of Adrian Peterson's running around back yeah. there anymore. Um, and Ricky Williams, I mean, a lot of these guys are getting shorter and quicker and, you know, all this, uh, these, uh, these zone schemes are taking over the world. So. It, it, it does become more athletic players do better. And we saw, like you said, uh, Wolf uh, this week, this year uh, down in Tampa be like, probably might've been the best offensive tackle rookie at right, right tackle. tackle. Yeah, yeah I know sure. it's right over left, but still, I mean, he was phenomenal this year with what he did down there. So, you know, for me, I was just like, I- I'm with you. I mean, the unteachables are crazy, but if you have solid technique, as you grow as a player, your technique takes over and and that because then you learn, you get vet smart, as I call it. You get vet smart. So when those young bucks think they're going to beat you upfield, you just chop their leg down. When those young bucks think they're going to come back inside on you, you just punch them so hard they're off balance. It's like, you know, you get vet smart and and that technique carries you just like on your team, uh, the left tackle down there, the Rams, you know, he's – yeah. yeah, Whitworth, he's almost 40, 40 years, years old, old dude. but nuts. he's vet smart. He's vet smart, so you're not going to capture, you're not going get, to get the best of him too often because, you know, he might give up a couple pressures a game, maybe a sack every other game, but the rest of those snaps, the other 60 snaps a, a game, you know, he's going he's gonna to get the better of you. 
Andrew Whitworth, man, he is one of the most undervalued offensive tackles of this era. He was such a good football player. I mean, I could make an argument that that guy might should be a, considered a future Hall of Famer, but he was just on a bad Bengals team for a long time. And I don't think he made a Pro Bowl until he was like 31 or 32. Like, it was the most ridiculous thing in the world, even though he was one of the best. And he's continued that. I mean, playing that position to 40 years of age, when does that happen? I like when is an offensive tackle ever played to 40? I can't remember it. If it's I can't, I remember interior guys that played pretty long, like Matt, the Matthews brothers and stuff, but Larry Allen, Larry Allen was pretty old when he retired too. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know about tackles. So, real quick, we only about five minutes left. We want to talk about some interior offensive linemen. Perfect segue. David just mentioned some guards. We're going to talk about centers. And obviously, there was a big difference between guards and centers, but we're going to kind of quantify this a little bit. So, Talk about the offensive tackles that are playing in a lot more space. They're on an island, quote-unquote. They're playing against some of the more athletic defensive linemen, defenders in the NFL. Offensive guards and centers now, the the good thing that you have and the bonus that you have is you're playing next to people on both sides of you. You know, you you got a little help. You got a little help. So guards and centers, guards more than centers, I would say here, The ability to create power in very tight confines, very tight space, that is both. So we're talking about like the longer athletic offensive tackles. Guards are usually talking about a little shorter, a little stubbier, bigger, lower body, because again, they are creating power a ton at a very small amount of space. Hand strength, grip strength, still very important. But for me, it's creating that power. And even though we're talking about zone-based schemes, which is predicated on movement, especially outside wide zone schemes, Still creating that power, that punch, that initial punch for me, creating movement at the line of scrimmage. That's probably the first thing I look at when I'm talking about offensive guards is just how easy movement they can create in just such a tight amount of space. Yeah, the explosion out of your stance is really a key here. And not enough teams um, force their guards to get in three-point stances anymore because of all the spread offense from high school to college, which actually damages them going into the – the pro ranks. And that's why you see sometimes more tackles being pinched in to play guard at the pro level, because if you got to teach someone to come out of a stance, I'd rather have a bigger body person, you know, and tackles often are that coming inside. So, you know, for me, I love when I see a guard get a three point stance and just explode off and uproot and and move a D tackle out of their, their hole, you know, and, and really just invoke their dominance on a person. Uh, you know, but like you said, it's about the punch and power they can generate at a, in a short area. But their short area quickness and their spatial recognition is really key because, you know, when people inside, you got blitzing linebackers, you have twisting tackles, you have games being run on you a lot more than on the edge. So therefore, you know, you really need to have good spatial recognition to know where people are coming from and then react to it. Your reaction time has to be really, really quick. Because if that guy, if that linebacker is looping and you carried your and you followed your line, your D tackle in too long before you passed them off. Now you created too much gap and that linebackers through your hole and there's no back to pick them up. He's in your quarterbacks. That's the quickest path to the quarterback is in that in that interior. So, you know, those two B gaps and A gaps, that's the quickest way to get there. So therefore, I mean, you, your spatial recognition and your reaction time has to be really quick. You have to be in tune with the guy next to you. So you know how much space to, it's going to take to pass him off for that guy to pick him up. And then you be able to stop you. Like I said, stop your momentum at 330 pounds and move back the other way. This is a big, this is a wide load. This is a double wide that you got to stop on a dime and then <laughs> redirect fast the other way. And people go, well, why did he miss that block? Well, he's 330 pounds. He's got to stop his momentum and then re- react back. And if there's, you know, a yard between him and the tackle, the shorter guy that's 220 or 235 blitzing through there is quicker than the yep. 330 guy. So it's going to happen. That's why spacing on offensive line is so key. But for the interior, I really, when I watch them, it's coming out of the stance and power as well as watching that, that recognition quickness and reaction quickness side to side to know how they're going to move with that balance in you know, balance in their stance, like you said, core strength and balance yep. in their reaction. So not only just getting there, but being within their own frame when they get there to then sit in the chair, absorb a power rush or 
push a guy through the, you know, again, through the, the, um, the pocket and not interrupt another block. And that's the other thing. If you block too hard and the guy next to you is standing there and you interrupt his block, you could, you can, dis, you can jar his guy free and mess yep. up him. So it's, it's really a very, it, it, I know everybody's like, you're talking too long about offensive line here. <laughs> no, we got it, man. <laughs> Listen, Lorenz is over in Germany and, you know, he's really getting off on this. But, you know, for me, you, you have to really be understanding the interior offensive lineman because that, that you're in a very tight quarters. You're in a three by three box and you yeah. don't want to interrupt the guy next to you to knock him off his block and you got to guard your own, your own space. And your own gaps. And if you if you mess that up, it's the most direct path to the quarterback to take him off his spot, make him escape, and make him, you know, ad lib. So you gotta hold your ground. It's 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 when you find a good guard, like uh, the 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 guard up in um Quentin the Colts. Nelson. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Quentin Nelson. Yeah. yeah, Quentin Nelson, you're you're Notre Dame boy. Uh Thank when you, you have a guy when you got him, I mean he's a rare talent that is is just incredible that can guard that three by three spot and not get moved off it. Is very technically sound. Is is strong and stable in there. You mentioned some of the grades like Larry Allen that can yep. do it. Larry Allen was one of the best pulling guards I've ever seen at three hundred and thirty pounds. I mean, he could get outside, and that's the other thing we ask the guards to do. You got to get out. You got to pull your your body at three twenty, three thirty. Get outside and hit a, and line up a linebacker or a DB or a safety or somebody out there in space. And deliver a blow on them. Blocking in space is hard too. People really underestimate it. It's hard. They it's really underestimate it because most of the guys are just guided missiles. And if that little guy moves, they're they're screwed. But when you come to balance and deliver a blow and you line that sucker up like a Quentin Nelson and a Larry Allen used to do, and so many good guards used to do, it's like holy smokes, you really got the talent, athleticism, balance, and body control, the quabs as we call it in school, right? The quabs to sit down and make that block. Ensure you're hitting that block. Also, interior linemen are asked to combo and scrape to the second level a lot, which Inside is just zone, baby. We, we zone. yeah, hit, hit, hit in double team and then scrape up to a linebacker, take the right angles, and then sustain that block. Those interior guys they're asked to do a lot of things that people don't recognize, see, and appreciate. Uh, but junkies like us. We see it and we're like, whoo, here nothing, we go. Nothing grinds my gears more than bad angles up to the second level. My God, I hate it more than a corner getting beat deep and cover three. I hate that more than a corner getting beat deep and cover three. I hate bad angles to the second level. Take a good angle. Jesus Christ, it's where he's going, not where he is. <sighs> All right. Cool. Centers, of course, intelligence. I know you were talking about Andrew Whitworth and the veteran, you know, the veteran understanding, the veteran IQ for centers, ultra important. Because sometimes you got guys that are a little undersized, a little stubby, but spatial awareness for me at center is very important. And not only are you are you making the calls at the line for protection, you have to make sure everybody's on the same page, but also you're, ta- you're uncovered a lot because we're not seeing a ton of of um, odd odd man fronts anymore. We're seeing a ton of even. Most of the NFL is we're talking about even man fronts. So a lot of times the center is going to be uncovered. A lot of times we're going to be uncovered. So that spatial awareness, especially in pass protection, seeing what movement is happening up front, and then the ability, like you said, to get up to the second level. You can't just be a big mauler at center. you got to be able to work up to the second level, off those combos, off the double teams, be, be able to do that efficiently. That is my quick excerpt on center. David Turner, anything to add to that? And last, of course, man, it's we're entering the end of the podcast. I'm going to give you the floor. Whatever you want to leave us with, it's your show, baby. Just kidding. It's my podcast, but I'll let you finish. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Uh, no, but I, for centers, yeah, like you see Alex Mack going to um, San Francisco, and he's going to play late into his career, and Jeremy Newberry played late into his career, and different people. Centers can last a little bit longer when they're that good because of the, they're not covered all the time. They're often helping. They're not, you know, one-on-one blocks, and if they are, it's it's just for a quick second. It's not like the sustain that the other four have to do. The intelligence and working with the quarterback on protections is really the key. As as people line up, knowing where to call out the adjustments and make sure the line is all set and ready to go. That's that's really a, a, a strong piece of being a center. So for me, 
when you're looking at center, it's intelligence and it's anchor because you don't want the middle guy getting pushed into the quarterback's lap like he's on roller skates. But if they have intelligence and, and anchor strength, you can do a lot with that center for sure. Um, at the end of the podcast here, I just want to thank everybody. I want to thank you. I want to take Shakira, thank Shakira. I want to thank one institution, um, everybody that supports Mavs and uh, works with us because without your support, we wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be around to uh, do this each and every week. And we love bringing you guys the business of football. And tonight you got to hear, uh, you know, a really uh, motivated young lady that's uh you heard her call me out say she's been waiting for me to call her. i gotta get the job first but right. once i get the job i gotta make the call i'm i'm on record now um but you know it's just talking about what happens inside football inside sports inside locker rooms and inside uh, decision making and i hope uh, all you enjoyed it and appreciate it because you know it's about equality and equality means inclusion and if you don't have inclusion you'll never have equality Yep. So I would like to also send a shout out to Shakira Hassel. It was a fantastic interview, a fantastic perspective. Always love talking ball with you, of course, Mr. David Turner. We have some big announcements coming over at Maverick Sports Consulting. Make sure that you check us out on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, wherever you get your information. We're at Mav underscore sports, specifically on Twitter. We thank everybody that was able to stick around with us. We will be back again, same time, same place next week to dive deep into the inner workings of the sports world. Thanks for listening to another episode of Mav Sports Take with us on social media, share your thoughts on today's episode, and tell us what we should take on next time on Mav Sports Take. Want more from our hosts, David and Ryan? Visit maverick.sportsconsulting.com and learn how we can help you take the next step in your sports career. Until next time, this is Mav Sports Take. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.